these are the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Today, I have a delightful conversation to share with you as I talk with Marion Gilbert, a physical therapist trained in craniosacral therapy, somatic emotional release, and trauma resolution. Dive in with us as we discuss the benefits of somatic awareness and healing and the nuances of something you may have never heard of before, titration and resourcing. Did you know the nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit and is a proud sponsor of Blink of an Eye podcast and Blink of an Eye nonprofit is on social media? You can find out more about the Blink of an Eye nonprofit initiatives to support SCI families in the first 30 days of crisis and learn more about the Science of Trauma Online Symposium, November 3rd, 2022, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a learning experience you don't want to miss. Two nationally renowned physicians and brain researchers will present for the first time together, Dr. Babak Kateb from the Brain Mapping Institute on brain mapping trauma in the brain and body, and Dr. Dan Siegel from the UCLA Mind Sight Institute on the interpersonal neurobiological ways we can all resolve trauma in our own bodies and respond to others in crisis and injury in a more trauma-informed way to promote trauma healing and ways to reduce future disease and cognitive impairment. If you are a parent, a grandparent, a coach, an athlete, a teacher, clergy, mental health professional, integrative health professional, lawyer or law enforcement personnel, or surgeon, doctor, nurse, or physical therapist, you won't want to miss this three-hour event and three hours of continuing education credit as well as continuing medical education credit through a partnership with Medical Education Resources. Register now at http colon backslash backslash events dot i see that dot org. That's the letters i c t h a t dot org. Links to those platforms will be in the show notes. Season 3, Trauma Healing Learning 15, Somatic Awareness, Titration, and Resourcing for Trauma Healing, with Marion Gilbert, RPT. Hello, Blink of an Eye family. In this Trauma Healing Learning, I am pleased to introduce Marion Gilbert, 
an incredible physical therapist and somatic healing expert and wise woman. Marion has been practicing physical therapy since 1978 and has a well-established practice. Spring Hill Physical Therapy in Grass Valley, California. A lovely name and place for healing, don't you think? In her practice and in her life, she has a special focus on somatic awakening, which is accomplished through increased awareness and the merging of the mental and emotional centers of intelligence. Marion is also very focused on trauma healing, as are we. Today, I invite you to ponder the phrase, energy follows attention, while we discuss Marion's methods of healing and somatic awakening. Sometimes, the simple acknowledgement of trauma can shift your life and mark the start of your healing journey. Let's find out more. So settle in. Take a deep breath and relax your racing mind or fluttering heart to allow the wisdom of your body to show you new pathways for healing. Here we go. I am blessed to introduce you to Marion Gilbert. Marion is a body worker and she is the owner of Spring Hill Physical Therapy in Grass Valley, California. She's also a fellow Enneagram teacher in the narrative tradition and part of a group of teachers working with Helen Palmer over a number of years and what we called the Bergamo Group. Marion has started her own company called Somatic Enneagram. Mary Own was the first person to introduce me to the concept of somatic awareness. And that's had a profound impact on my life. So I thank you for that. Welcome. It was a pleasure to be there with you. In our interview conversation as Enneagram teachers, Marion and I spoke about her work in somatics and the Enneagram. For those of you who don't know, the Enneagram is a system of personality awareness and is often described as nine ways of viewing the world. Indeed, there are nine distinctly different patterns of how humans pay attention. More specifically, each of us habitually places our attention on what we have come to believe we need for survival. It's a very useful system to reduce a great deal of the personal reactivity in our lives when we understand that we all have three centers of intelligence, mental, emotional, and physical and that there is one of those centers we rely on predominantly because it supports our worldview.
For me, the center of intelligence I rely on heavily is the heart center. But not paying attention to the other two centers can cause us to have blind spots. It was Marion who opened my eyes to the body center, the more instinctual energy we all have, and the ways to cultivate this deep center of wisdom. Well, that part of the interview, for those of you interested in the Enneagram, will be a separate companion trauma healing learning later. Today, we'll lay the foundation for that later episode. I hope you will join us then as well. But for today, let's walk in slowly now to understand this deep center of intelligence we all have by our birthright as humans, the body center, which is also called the soma. And if you'd like to learn more about the Enneagram, you'll have to tune in to our future bonus episode, which will include the rest of our conversation about the Enneagram and the Soma. A master class, if you will. It will delve into the Enneagram map as well as the cultivation of somatic intelligence for our personal development and spiritual practice. So here we go. Learning from Marion about cultivating awareness of our instinctual energy and how it matters for trauma healing. You know, what it really is highlighting is, of course, the the aspect of our lives that is affected by, you know, survival mechanisms and instinctual energy and also a certain amount of need for maintaining a level of well-being before we can even go out into the world and investigate the world around us and the relationships that we have as well as you know how it is that we can grow in our lives without the understanding of how much of our brain processes constantly you know that body center that somatic you know intelligence that helps us survive every day every breath we take and how much it pri- is being prioritized by the brain. So that is in, an, in and of, of itself also happening under the radar, meaning it is not something that needs to be conscious and is kept under the radar for that reason, so that you know we can actually place our attention in what we're here to do and how we function in the world. It's a concept, I think, that is almost foreign to us as Americans in terms of our tradition mm-hmm. and what we may have been taught or not taught in school. And so the idea of, of body and, and well-being and something that we might not pay much attention to, and nor do we have to pay that much attention to it. But yet when we do, can we talk about what happens or what are the benefits of paying attention to our soma? So the moment that something that comes at us and hits our central nervous system 
in that way, the central nervous system begins to automatically contain that charge within our body. And it begins to wall it off, keep it encapsulated. And then from there, it doesn't really threaten to short circuit our nervous system. And we can return to good enough functioning by the adaptive strategies that our type have learned to turn to in order to continue to function. Yes, this concept and the work of Peter Levine was so instructive for me individually on my own trauma healing journey after the initial experience with Archer that I began about uh, two years after uh, the most intense aspect of the overwhelm. But this notion of containing that you're speaking about, how it is that through self-observation, which when I am teaching self-observation, I really want people to know this is something that's so accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, We all, it's our birthright to be able to observe ourselves. Uh, And there are, you know, a hundred different ways to do that and how it is that we can uh, follow, you know, what we place our attention on. And in the moment, I think what you're speaking of that could be very, very helpful for our listeners to understand around self-observation is that one is what we're doing when we are in overwhelm, where we can shut down or we can, which is something we're wired to do as humans in our brains, we can almost numb out or we know we can go into hyperactivity but we do wall off so that we can function. Mm-hmm. And that walling off can get trapped in our bodies and cause us disease later, but also can be thawed, if you will. We sort of freeze it is mm-hmm. a way that some other teachers and trauma teachers have described it that I've borrowed from them. I'm curious if that's how you would see it as well with this walling off and then what it is that you might as a physical therapist do to work with that. Well, I also was trained in the craniosacral work and we have the concept there of being able to sense in your patients, but also in yourself, aspects of that we call energy cysts, just like a normal cyst is you know, forming to encapsulate a threatening infection that then can go to blood poisoning. You know, it walls off, you know, with a, a, a walled situation, the infection, so that it cannot spread through the system. So the world energy cyst is then referring to a similar, you know, way that energy gets contained because the charge of the overwhelm of something that hits you. And I think we probably have all experienced that, right? When you're almost in a car accident and you just feel that intensity. (music) 
if you do not have enough neurotransmitters and enough capacity in your nervous system to conduct a charge, the body will come in and automatically forms a wall around that particular overwhelm so that it is contained in the body and then it is being defended. You can call it frozen. I also say it's being it's being fought as well as then it's being pushed away out of the consciousness of your brain. So there is a certain amount of avoidance in that whole situation because you don't want to feel what is potentially life-threatening. So the defense mechanism that's well described in the Enneagram type structure, and now we're talking about the structure of the type, not just the behavioral aspect of, you know, the, the personality type, there's a structural part that, you know, is actually walling off a certain aspect of reality that we perceived was too overwhelming for us to deal with when we were little and we didn't have access to you know internal resources yet because we were too little to do it so you know that particular aspect of reality is now being sort of pushed out of the way and yet it is a disturbance in the field that continues to tell our brain to pay attention to this aspect of reality coming back 24 7 in our dreams in our functioning and we don't know about it because that actual overwhelm is so numbed out that it's not being perceived as being there any longer yes and i think it is so much the original source of so much of our own personal reactivity It's the root of it. Now, and if you think of that for a minute, if that is where the root of the cascade of, you know, the way that the pattern begins to automatically, you know, defend itself and then put the attention automatic on a habitual way of looking through a particular lens of perception. And so that is the reality that we see. And if we then talk to another person, who does not have that pattern. And they also have that very same thing, except for around another aspect of reality. You can see if those two people begin to talk with one another and they do not know that they're coming from a, a whole different way of filtering reality, that the potential for conflict increases. And in full circle, so the potential for conflict increasing, and it's helpful to understand, like, how did we get here? Why did this happen? Why did this interaction not go well? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what was it that set me off, that set you off, etc.? And in the compassionate piece to know that what the mechanisms that sent one person, you know, into hyperactivity, reactivity, mm -hmm. was the same mechanism 
that sent the other person just for very different reasons for what it was that was stored. Mm-hmm. That, that's one of the huge pieces for me that has been so compassionate, bringing mm-hmm. back the understanding of conflict to somatics on the structures and the mechanisms, the mechanisms being the same defense mechanisms, but for different motivations. So, you know, the beauty of learning about your own type and how you have learned to filter reality will give you insight and deeper understanding, you know, what it is that your behaviors are fueled by. And what aspect of reality you avoid, what part of yourself you learn to idealize, because this is what I want the world to see. This is how I earn the love, the approval, the attention, the belonging, you know, creating a certain amount of validity for my existence becomes then, you know, the objective, because we've lost connection with our own wholeness and the reality as it actually is. It was the missing piece, you know, for, and it doesn't mean it is the most important piece. Exactly. It's not the most important. It it is the missing piece. It's a, it is to complete that map so that you can understand what you do on, in each one of our patterns, you know, that creates a core belief that is filtering a particular way in which we are looking at life that then can become your fixation. This is the way that you kind of keep looking through that particular mental lens of perception. And this is also the way that you can kind of feel like you have to defend yourself in order for you to feel like you can, you know, reach out to people, but keep a part of your heart, you know, under, under check and not allow that to come forward. And so is that pattern also manifested in the body that there is an aspect that is on the defensive, you know, the moment you believe that you're under siege. And I think it's really important for people to understand it doesn't mean that you're actually in danger. It is also operating in full force based on the false evidence appearing real, which spells the word fear, right? False evidence appearing real comes from a situation in the past that then, you know, gets reactivated just in case, you know, this overwhelm might not be able to be processed and therefore let's not go there. So the fight, flight and freeze reflexes, you know, are very important to understand in how that functions and what your go-to reflex is depending on say what type or what center you lead with. Just to know that is super helpful. And I believe that you have oftentimes 
focus some of your trainings on beginning that introspection to understand that belief with the womb, understanding your experience in the womb. Can you speak about that? Well, the moment you're becoming a living, small living, breathing mechanism that is developing, even if it is in the host of the mother, you know, your, your little breathing developing mechanism is subjected to an environment that potentially can create a certain amount of overwhelm, depending on what mom's life looks like, right? Mom can be in an accident. You know, mom may, might get some news of a, a loss of a, a parent that she dearly loves and, you know, is grieving heavily. And depending on how she grieves, you know, the information is being passed on to the developing fetus. And the same with, you know, what is the countenance of the mother? You know, does she have access to resources or is she barely scraping by and is constantly at a place where she is needing to fight for her life, right? All that is, you know, creating a certain environment that can create a certain amount of overwhelm depending on how mom is, you know, able to work with whatever her life gives her. And so this idea for each of us mm -hmm. to have some better understanding about how we were carried in the womb, depending on our mother's experience, begins to give us insight about our own development of our central nervous systems. Absolutely. So like I said, we are symbiotic with our mom, right? And also dad who's in the picture and how that relationship is. And we're all human beings, even in the best circumstances, overwhelm will occur because, you know, we go through life circumstances that as you are describing that are shocking. And we do the best we can with all the patterns and the conditioned patterns that we have as parents, as we are giving birth in the best circumstances and still the little one is already informed. Yes, comes into the world already informed. And then we have the birth process. And depending how that goes, our first separation, which is, you know, even at best, it's a trauma to the system. And it's a trauma that we're created to go through. But, you know, depending on how that birthing process proceeds and how much mechanistic, you know, ways in which the birth is had to be worked with in order to have mom and baby survive and all of that has a big impact in how our defense system is already having to operate to keep us alive and to survive in this world right and so it seems again one of those it's just so plain 
to make that kind of a connection. One of my other trauma healing learning persons whom I interviewed was Jim Ratty on birth memories mm -hmm. um, as it relates to trauma healing. Right. And um, very much, of course, in line with what you were just sharing. I know that you also in your work, Marion, uh, speak about somatic awakening. Might you distinguish between that or, or draw the parallelism between somatic awakening and the introspection about the womb and the birth process and throughout the life cycle and span? I like the word somatic awakening because it has something to do with awakening to how incredibly intelligent you know the somatic structure is and how it's been created okay so it's created to adapt it's created to survive it's created to you know be resilient and all these words are now much more used and understood but to really be in awe of this living, breathing organism that has somatic intelligence that we have learned through our Western development to move ourselves away from by over-celebrating the neocortex and not really even considering, you know, that somatic brain that has its own intelligence that works much better if it's being left alone, right? And if if we understand that the separation that we have made by not trusting this somatic structure to be a self-correcting, self-repairing, self-balancing mechanism, and then we do our inner growth work from a psychological perspective or even from a spiritual perspective or a professional perspective through the mental lens of perception and we wanna figure out how to change ourselves we are already intruding on not having a full understanding of how we first need to become aware of our, our somatic structure and how it works but then awaken to its intelligence and learning how to join it and follow it rather than trying to beat it back into shape according to a mental concept that we have formed or an emotional you know construct that is telling us no you can't do that you have to do this because this is how we learn in school right we have to change we're the ones that have to do it we have to earn our love and belonging because there is something in incredibly wrong with who we are and we have to become different smarter, more loving, you know, stronger, fitter. You know, I mean, we're inundated with that need to change and we do it from the neocortex point of view. And we forget that if we drop our attention, the inner observer attention onto the felt sense lens of perception so that the sensate part of your being can come alive by following the breath and begin to read the inner territory of your own being, 
inside and you begin to understand what these sensations are trying to communicate to you, right? You are going to be able to join that somatic intelligence by understanding it instead of trying to, you know, correct it and trying to get rid of pain, for instance, which is so prevalent in our society, right? If you can just get rid of the pain, then I will be healthy again. No, the pain is a signal of your body saying, over here, I need, I need something. Pay attention over here, right? But we screen it out. How is it that one might begin to drop in, as you're speaking about, to awaken the soma? Well, the easiest way to create an inner practice is to follow the breath. Because the breath is already moving through the nostrils, through the head, through the neck and the throat, into the chest, drops through the diaphragm into your belly. It already covers the mental center, the heart center, and the belly center. So if you learn how to sense that movement of the breath where the expansion on the inhale and a relaxation on the exhale, and you begin to feel that movement, and then you begin to feel where the breath moves through you with ease into the open spaces inside of yourself, and then it hits places of tightness and contraction inside, you are already beginning to understand what that inner territory is telling you and how it had to organize itself. And then to work with these places inside that are contracted, numb, you know, vacuous places, holes, you know, densities, hard pl platforms. Those are sensations. Those are vibrations, all that is language of the felt sense lens of perception. And I just really would like to elucidate also that our language already carries so much of an indication of where something is actually occurring inside of you, not why, but where it's happening. We say, I have butterflies in my stomach. It already is telling you where it's happening. That's anxiety here. So why not go there? Because this is where you're suffering, right? Or there's an elephant on my chest, you know? Or so-and-so is a pain in the neck. Or my, I, my knees are knocking because I'm so insecure about walking into a situation that I can't trust myself, right? All these ways, and we have these language-oriented ways in which we're actually being asked to pay attention to that part of our body that is giving us information about emotional states and beliefs that we may carry. And we don't 
notice that because we just use the phrase and everybody knows what it means from a psychological point of view but it's totally being ignored that it is pointing you inside to the places where you are suffering It's fascinating because as a transformative mediation teacher, I have taught folks for decades to listen to the language and indeed the metaphors like you were just expressing when people are in conflict and to follow that. So when they say it's like walking on eggshells, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a monkey on my back. I mean, there's just so many, there are hundreds, if not thousands of these expressions. Yeah, or can we please address the elephant in the room? I mean, that perception, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. So if any of us, whether we are cognitively coming up with a metaphor that directs us to the place in our bodies that we need to pay attention to, or if that mental languaging has not yet formed, but we become more aware of where something is showing up for us in our bodies. What is the value of focusing our attention on that spot, that place? Can we talk about that? Well, I've already kind of mentioned that, but that is where you're suffering. And so what happens knowing that that's where we're suffering when we place our attention on that part of the body. So just the fact that you begin to be caring enough to yourself to begin to place your attention on that part of you is a counter instinctual movement, meaning mostly when we have a negative, if it gets to the level of feeling pain, you know, there is an innate instinctual way that the body wants to take you away from it in order for you not to get closer to something that may bring you to tears. Right? With the belief that if I'm crying, then I won't have access to my brain and I can't think clearly. So I have to avoid that, for instance. The belief systems that we carry, that if we turn our attention into that, then we may encounter the overwhelm that has been, you know, living in our system in an encapsulated way. And the ego structure and the superego is oriented to want to get rid of that so that I don't have to deal with that part of reality. It has an identification with the orientation of cannot go there, cannot go there, get it from there. I have been keeping you safe all this time in the way that I've done it. And if you go there, then you may be on your own having to deal with this overwhelm. feel like you know you might die like annihilation and I remember some of our first work together you and I 
somatic awareness was when you worked with me to bring my attention to where I was aware enough of something being activated in my body Mm -hmm. that the focus of attention allowed the quality of, and what I, I later came to write about as the grip, um, the constriction, whatever it was, it, it changed, it changed the quality, the, the somatic quality, as well as the, you know, the texture and the color mm-hmm. and, and the softness or the tightness, it changed all those aspects of that yeah. feeling in the body. Can we talk about that? So that is a more advanced way of beginning to work with skillful means and a method that will be safely able to address the overwhelm by recognizing that the overwhelm and the perception, if I go there, I will die, is based on the past. And it's outdated. And in a way, we need to update our, you know, our operating system by understanding that we have already survived. We don't have to question whether or not we were going to get killed or not. We, we survived and we are alive today. And we're not only survived, we have already been able to, you know, have lots of experience of growth and development to where we ha- are much more resourceful today than when that event happened. But yet, you know, that part encapsulated part has been separated and kept separate from your developing self. So to become aware that you can approach that these parts of yourself by placing your attention not into it, but around it so that you can feel and sense the shape and the form. And you're also with the understanding that energy follows attention to not place your attention into it, because most likely if there is overwhelm there, that you will reactivate the overwhelm because you're adding energy to it. Right? That's not always the case. If it's not the overwhelm that is there, sometimes by just placing your attention into something that's painful and it's not really, you know, an overwhelming piece, then you can just directly go into it and relax it. But say, for instance, this is, is part of the construct of where the original overwhelm of your being was experienced. It is much safer, much more compassionate, much wiser, much more skillful, much more compassionate to breathe around it with an open-minded inner observer placement of attention on the felt sense and on the sensate aspect. The mistake I believe a lot of people make is that if, you know, you breathe around it and memories occur or, you know, beliefs start to pop up 
or emotions start to spring out of that to follow these aspects instead of staying with the felt sense which keeps you in the realm of the soma where you are working with the part of you that needs to survive in order to live your life more fully oh right? it's so powerful it's so powerful because you go into the mental you know things and you see a lot of people doing that and it's like no stay with the breath surrounding and beginning to feel the shape the form the size the consistency the direct precise placement of where it is and you begin to make space for that particular part that has been waiting for you your whole life to come and to begin to excavate it in a way that is now going to have the skillful means to neutralize it. And you do that by resourcing yourself, by bringing online the part of you that's already open because the other part of it is that your whole being is not taken up by the overwhelm this time because it's been encapsulated, right? So there is plenty of empty space and free flowing space and open space for the breath to go. So if the attention of breathing around it begins to elicit, you know, some intensifying of the sensations that are there. You just simply shift your attention on the part of the breath that is already completing itself with ease into the open spaces. The moment you shift your attention there, energy follows and the brain gets the message, oh, she's alive, she's breathing. There is no problem. And the autonomic nervous system begins to regulate itself. So the whole overwhelm begins to, you know, relax down and you can return. So this is another point of choice. A lot of people say, oh, look at this. I can shift my attention away and everything is fine. No, not everything is fine. You're just resourcing yourself. And you do that as a preparation to be able to return to the part of you that has been encapsulated in the overwhelm. Until these places of the charge in the overwhelm and the charge in, you know, what is resourced are equalizing. Now, at that moment, you don't have to do anything. And that is, again, so foreign to us because our little ego wants to do this practice, you know, and that's never how it's going to happen. It's the inner witness or the inner observer that will begin to feel and sense a transformation of the dissolving and the safe discharging of this construct through this all this part of your say physicality that's available now for 
that charge to be conducted and to be discharged. And the free flowing life force is restored and the construct is gone. It's miraculous in every single time it happens. Every single time it happens. You know, I so remember not just once, but a number of times when we were working together, my defense mechanism that had encapsulated the feeling of separation from source for me, mm -hmm. taking me all the way back to being mm -hmm. a girl with the death of my father mm -hmm. and realizing that how triggered that just that theme was in my life, but I didn't and couldn't see that theme until we did the somatic work. Yeah. But the piece that might be so helpful, so many things of, that you just shared, but the story is really not important. It's the staying with and having a coach, if you will, or someone who understands somatic awareness to encourage you to stay with yeah, so that facilitation of an external coach that can hold the space with you, for you, can help you track and also bring you back on track when you go off track, which is, you know, inevitably going to happen, right? Exactly. It's a, another compassionate piece. Right. To know, like, this is what the cognitive brain wants to do, wants to bring us back to rationality and something that's going to make sense and and, and for certain types on the Enneagram, uh, you know, I want to have, then have a connection with you because I'm experiencing something powerful. It's like, stay with the body sensation. A really powerful journey. What happens is once that construct is being dissolved and just safely discharged your life force has increased because it is very energy expensive right to keep that charge encapsulated so when that whole thing is not being taken up by having to keep something under wraps you know your life force actually increases and you're taking the wind out of the sails of your automatic way your reactivity begins to you know want to express itself and it's all of a sudden oh i don't have to react to this i can just be here and actually feel this, the pain in myself in my heart of my father's death and i can breathe around it and i have the memory of it but the charge is gone so my heart can stay soft and that softening of the heart can actually build your own, you know, connection with your resource, undefended, loving, right, wisdom heart. And that is precious. Precious. I mean, what an invitation. Yeah. For each of us, no one can escape being wounded. 
in some way, shape, or form in their lives. And the no, and I believe it's not meant, for, it is meant for us to be wounded so that we are being put on the path because the brain and its automatic way of organizing itself could just take us on that revolving door or through that revolving door forever if there wasn't some sense of a trigger that is going to jar us and you know from the gurdjieffian perspective of the enneagram there are shock points also in that system to help us wake up to the self-remembering of who we were created to be the essential nature of our own being and even Adyashanti, you know, who is a um, Buddhist teacher here in California, he says that we have a spiritual instinct, meaning we are instinctually drawn to seek our essential nature. And that's also really beautiful, right? To seek the freedom of getting awakened to the point of including our physical stru energetic structure that then also creates the platform for a heart that now is able to open and a mind that can open and expand beyond the normal ways in which we feel we have to defend ourselves constantly. Now I'm thinking about resourcing that we just touched on a little bit ago and how it is that our listeners might understand how they might call upon their own resourcing. And, and for me, it, I, I did so with your wonderful teaching and practice I would resource when the overwhelm was just a little too much breathing around to go someplace else, as you've already described. How is it that um, that listeners who might not be familiar with this methodology might access resourcing in their own lives in an, in an easier, accessible way? Well, you can use external resources, you know, to shift your state. And we're already kind of largely doing that intuitively. Like if you're upset and you feel triggered, you know, sometimes people go to walk in nature or they go on a run or they go to home and they quiet themselves and take a, a warm bath or drink a cup of tea or call a friend that you know you know will just be with you just the way you are and and you know create a connection or you know you connect with your your dog or your cat and you feel the warmth of their breathing body so all these external ways are ways that your body begins to respond to something that's not triggered and we actually resonate or attune ourselves. We co-regulate with external aspects of our lives that we intuitively feel 
can help us calm down. Okay? So it's, that's one of the ways that you can become aware of what is it that you're already doing that helps you calm down and do that more consciously. And then notice, you know, your breath calming down, your inner sensations calming down, and then turn your attention inward on the nervous system that's calming down. And the moment you place attention there on the inside, energy follows, and you actually enhancing or speeding up that process. Yes, there are internal resources that you reach for, like you know, you know that you might have access to, you know, a certain amount of patience or a certain amount of kindness, and you can have a memory of, you know, knowing your, the way that you have been reaching for kindness inside of yourself and be able to use the memory of going back there and put place a hand on your chest and just begin to breathe into the kindness that you were able to generate for maybe somebody else or for your pet, but now you turn your attention inward and breathe into your heart that just generating kindness. And now it can be kindness for self. So there's ways in which you can work with this, but ultimately the quickest way is to cultivate the movement of the breath through the three centers and notice where the breath is already breathing, you know, on its own, by itself, because the breath and the intelligence of the breath always looks for the path of the least resistance into the spaces that are already open. So if you have a following the breath practice without trying to change your breathing, but just noticing where you can feel and sense that breath moving, that's enough. That's the quickest way to shift the attention because that is always with you. At, every, at any time, wherever you walk, wherever you are, there's the breath, there's the shift of attention. The more you place your attention there, the more the energy follows and the nervous system will calm down. I'm smiling because with following the breath, another time I remember in our work together, mm -hmm. when I was very overwhelmed. You, yeah. you asked when I was doing breath work, what part of my body was not activated? And you said, maybe your toe. Mm -hmm. And I shifted my attention to my feet. And indeed with the breath already easy there, it was a moment of resourcing that it, it brought even a smile, but it was more like a, I'm not, I'm not dying. My, my, I feel my toe. <laughs> I can wiggle my toe. <laughs> my, my toe still works as it's supposed yeah. to. And it was a bit of a shock point and an awakening in a really crazy, but very profound way. It's such a profound way because you don't think in your little pea brain, you would never think about 
you know, doing that because the experience, if you're hitting an aspect of your overwhelm, it feels like it is overtaking you and that it's everywhere. And I'm saying, okay, so can you tell me if it's everywhere and I'm observing you breathing and you're not turning blue, it means your breath is finding open spaces that are not participating in the overwhelm. That's a fact. Can you just, just for the sake of practice, put your attention on where the breath is moving and recognizing that you're not dying. There is aspects of your body that are not participating in the overwhelm. And that's such a discovery for people. And then when they stay there, they all of a sudden experiencing that the overwhelm begins to shrink, right? Because you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it by placing all your tell, oh my God, it's, this is happening to me, I'm gonna die, right? It's so powerful, that placement of attention and learning how to shift attention at the point of your own suffering is the most self-compassionate self way that you can be with yourself and change your state. You know, I'm thinking that something that might round out this amazing conversation is the concept when there is such extreme overwhelm from fear and that fear of the past, the concept of titration in your work and in body work. Can, can you explain that to our listeners and how they might come to understand that as a resource for them in their own trauma work? Well, titration or pendulation is actually a method to understand how shifting attention is giving you access to different states of being. From a somatic point of view, you're either experiencing more well-being or you're experiencing more distress depending on where you place your attention. So pendulation and titration is helping you understand, oh my gosh, when I shift my attention, I change my experience. And if I shift my attention to the resource and my, my being is calming down and I'm not staying there long enough, and I'm bringing my attention back to the part that was overwhelmed and a, a new surge of overwhelm wants to happen, it is giving you the information that you're not resourced enough to, neutral, to uh, witness the neutralization of that charge. You're not prepared enough. So you need to shift your attention back to the resource itself and stay there a little bit longer. You might even bring your attention to the feet touching the ground, or if you're lying down, feeling Mother Earth supporting you. 
so that you know that in this moment you're not under siege. This is not matching reality. It's another way. And then when you stay there long enough and you take all of that in and you have enough of a capacity built by staying longer in the resourced part of you, and then you come back to the overwhelm, that's when the, the two places are matching each other in the charge that each of one holds, the resource being the positive one, this being the negative one, positive and negative one equally be rep representing is just going to neutralize and things are going to discharge. But you might have to do that pendulation of or titration several times in order to check whether or not you are sufficiently resourced or not. I love that because it speaks to any of us who've experienced trauma to know that we can take it in little chunks of digestion, just small amounts of metabolizing. And then when we can, and then to come back to it, that exactly. and titration and just small amounts so that we don't recreate the overwhelm. And also it might take a while for you know, you to build that capacity that cannot maybe be done in one setting, right? So what you do then in the pendulation places, you will always end the session in a resourced place so that you go back into your life for that situation in a place that's calmer. Right. And then you can come back the next day or next week or next month, depending on what you're feel ready for. And that is especially with ancestral trauma and complex trauma and all of that. That is a very important piece that you can't just, you know, necessarily on the spot, you know, make everything, you know, transform. It may take a lot two sessions. Yeah. Take so take so might usually. It might. And it might not. It might not. We've got, you know, we know through quantum physics that miraculous things can happen in a moment, uh, in a blink of an eye. Um, in the blink of an eye. And also, you know, staying with the felt sense lens of perception. Do not distract yourself by going out into the emotion. If the emotion comes, you just allow the emotion to be there and to move, but you don't place the attention on it. You just let it, give it permission to be there and to move when the emotion comes. But you don't go into the story of the emotion. You just allow the energy of the emotion to dissipate by allowing it to move through you. Yeah, so the felt sense is really the key if you want to do this work from an energetic point of view. What has really made a difference in my day-to-day -day life 
around the work of somatic awakening. Yeah. When I feel overwhelmed, which simply could be around deadlines and work and things that need to be done. I might feel like I'm, you know, running out of time or whatever the, the story is that's happening in my head. I can shift my attention. One way is to God's time that is so powerful, but the somatic piece for me is to marry that shift of attention into a concept that I, that I deeply believe in that there's a much greater wisdom than, than my own, but it is also living in me and to feel that sense of relief when I shift my attention there and try to remember that somatic sense of relief. And that's been the biggest game. Yeah, you suffer less because you become present to yourself in the way that you are. That will open you up to more receptivity to yourself as you are and the world around you as it is. I so, think it takes us full circle mm -hmm. to whether there is practiced method or not for exactly. any of our listeners. Through the breath and there being some awareness of the sensation that is showing up anywhere in the body, you're already halfway home to lose yeah. your suffering. It's an honor to be in this work. And I have to say, it's such a joy and such a, you know, deep, sacred invitation to be present like this with myself and others and feel that level of connection, you know, with our lives as it was intended to be. It's just, it's so nourishing that I feel very grateful so thank you for your interest in this work and thank you louise for your beauty and your perseverance in working within yourself and sharing that with other people that's warms my heart thank you so much thank you marion thank you for tuning in and joining Marion and me in this discussion of deep body-focused healing and how we can integrate our intellectual abilities and emotional faculties with our somatic wisdom, wisdom of the body, to become more aware of the trauma we carry and to reduce its grip on us in our lives. It's powerful to cultivate your somatic awareness you do have the power to awaken and pay attention to your somatic energy. And we can start our healing journeys together again and again with each breath we take. I hope this trauma healing learning spoke to you. Are you going to try a practice that was discussed today? Let us know by engaging on Blink of an Eye social media. Find us at Blink of an Eye Podcast 
on Instagram and under the name Blink of an Eye Podcast on Facebook. And I don't want any of you to miss the upcoming Science of Trauma three-hour symposium, November the 3rd, 2022. For more information and to register for this not-to-be-missed evening with two renowned brain researchers, Dr. Babbitt Katab on brain mapping trauma in the brain and body, and Dr. Dan Siegel on understanding our own interpersonal neurobiology and how we can ward off future disease. Go now to http colon backslash backslash events dot I see that dot org or go to www.blinkofaneye.org and follow the prompts. Continuing education credits and continuing medical education credits are available in partnership with MER, Medical Education Resources. And full-time students, you come free. That's events.icthat.org or blinkofaneye.org. See you there. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 15. Nothing will ever be the same. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com. Blink of an Eye podcast is sponsored by the Blink of an Eye nonprofit, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. Blink of an Eye provides a national team of SCI-specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. Blink of an Eye also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. 
blink of an eye will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, November 3rd, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.blinkofaneye.org or events.icthat.org. That's events.i, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.